Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast, brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. That's reliabletechtekhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business to science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share our content. We'd love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Lee Sapatath. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, David. Lee is what we call a repeat offender in the business. This is his second appearance, and it's interesting. Lee and I were talking recently, and I had just been kicking around the idea of having kind of a recurring guest co-host come back. And Lee is full of information, always always interesting to talk to. And uh, he mentioned the idea to me, I think a couple of days after I started thinking about it. So it was kind of serendipitous that Lee mentioned he'd like to come on. And so this will be kind of a unique version of the show today. We're just going to kind of have a free-flowing discussion. There's not a real strict agenda or a timeline or anything. We'll try to go our normal hour-ish. That might end up being a little longer because he and I both like to talk. And, um, yeah, so let's get going. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Welcome back. And um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, okay. a, l- a little background on Lee. Uh, a little background on Lee is that he has a uh, multiple degrees in jet propulsion, aeronautical engineering, and did I cover those? Aeronautical engineer, and I did major in jet and rocket propulsion. There we go. So, and he, I was surprised when Lee told me he didn't know much about the James Webb Space Telescope. So, everybody's familiar with the Hubble. Yes. <coughs> the James Webb Space Telescope is the successor to the Hubble. And the main difference about the James Webb Space Telescope, um, there, there, there were a few things about the Hubble that needed to be kind of refined in the next iteration of it. One of them was um, it's too close to Earth, so it gets a lot of interference from things like uh, solar flares and uh, uh, radio signals and things like that. So one of the first things they decided with the James Webb Space Telescope is they had to push it a lot further away from Earth than the Hubble orbits. And so they did that and successfully. It's quite quite an engineering marvel. The downside of that is, whereas Hubble required maintenance and upgrades over time, we can get to that. We're not getting to the James Webb Space Telescope. So it was literally a one-and-done thing. We don't have the technology to get out as far as the James Webb Space Telescope is to service or upgrade it. So it was really a high stakes. Uh, I think it ended up being $10 billion over 18 years of developing this thing. And you get one shot. And there were all these various um, aspects of it that had to unfold over like a six-week period. They had to launch it. They had to get it, have it um, travel to its ultimate destination where it was going to stay and make observations. Then they had to do this complicated multi-day unfolding of the um, the mirror array itself, which has a honeycomb design, which as an engineer, I think you would find interesting. Um, also, that there was also a big um, shield that was supposed to be unfolded over a couple of days too to um, shield it from any type of interference from our sun. So it was really interesting. Some of the other things... Excuse me. Some of the other things that were more interesting about it to look further back in time, right? Which is also looking further back in space. Space and time are one entity. Space time. You can use space as a measurement of time, and time as a measurement of space. 
you had to have some sensitivity to the infrared spectrum of the electromagnetic radiation spectrum. And you uh, venture a guess as to why? Please tell me. Edwin Hubble taught us a long time ago through his observations that the universe is expanding, and not only expanding, but expanding at an expanding rate. And so the once you reach a thir- certain threshold back in time um, or, or out in space, you have to have an instrument that has infrared sensitivity because the literal expansion of the universe as it's happening stretches the wavelength of the photons traveling through space as they do into the infrared side of the spectrum. Isn't that fascinating? We literally have proof by virtue of the fact that when we want to see further back in, in time or space than we've been able to before, we have to look for the infrared part of the visible, or not, it's not visible, the electromagnetic spectrum. And so that's literally tangible proof of what Edwin Hubble taught us 70, 80 years ago, that the universe is literally expanding. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, other than that, have you seen the images that have... I, I saw some recently? real quick photographs, and they were breathtaking. Yeah. Um, super cool, the technology. Uh, the things are being accomplished as a result. Um, I'm sure as a result of, of the successes of the, of the new telescope that we're going to see technologies here on Earth, um, you know, offshoots of that technology applied in everyday life. I would think so. Yeah, you have that constant kind of dialectical process of uh, paradigm shift with your geniuses like Einstein and so forth and Newton, and then the engineers and the applied people and the experimentalists go and take that paradigm shift and really start to um, apply it to roll out new technologies and new methods and new ideas and all that. So uh, I I think that's a great point you made. We're really going to see some interesting science done from this, I would assume, for decades, not just to mention the actual observations it makes and sends back to us. You know, one thing I thought was interesting about it, too, um, it has a hard drive in it that I think is only like 80 gigs. And we have smartphones now with 1,000 gig uh, storage capacities on them, uh, one terabyte, um, and I read an article about that, and they said the reason's pretty simple. The hard drive is particularly sensitive to changes in temperature, and when you're out that far away, the slightest in, you know, interference from this or that solar activity or whatever it might be uh, can really affect the hard drive. So they wanted a low-complexity, um, basic hard drive that would just stand the test of time and so um, they're, the observations are being made. The camera is digitizing the information, sending it to the hard drive, and it immediately starts the process of beaming it back to space, uh, back to Earth uh, through electromagnetic uh, uh, communication. So I thought that was interesting. We're all carrying around in our pockets a device that's in some ways more sophisticated than the most, arguably the most sophisticated scientific instrument we've ever ever made. So I thought that was another interesting fact about it too. And then the images you see, there's a little bit of, um, what do they call it? A little bit of doctoring going on there. The beautiful images that we see, the pillars of the creation, the spiral galaxies and all that stuff, that's not exactly what the uh, instruments are seeing. It's what's called a composite image, and they'll take a picture of certain ultraviolet aspects of what they're seeing and then the infrared and then other, uh, other, other things, and then they'll color code them using advanced software and stuff composite them into one image and then we get the end result that's always beautiful and aesthetically pleasing it doesn't exactly look like that so there's a little bit of hollywood going on there too um which i think is uh you know worth mentioning but at the end of the day 
it's just a constant reminder of the perspective that we all should have of how ultimately insignificant we are as individuals. Uh, our planet is not unique. Um, there's some really interesting numbers out there that the current estimates are that um, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, has, I think, around 10 billion stars like our sun. And each star has an estimated 10 million, um, not 10 million, each galaxy has an estimated 10 million Earth-like planets in it. And that's just one galaxy. And the iconic picture that came back from the James Webb Space Telescope is the equivalent of taking a grain of sand and looking at a certain point in the sky at night and applying that grain of sand. And behind that grain of sand, the James Webb Space Telescope caught up for a thousand individual points of light, which all represent galaxies and stars themselves. And that's one grain of sand worth of the night sky. I think that kind of puts things in a perspective too, you know? So I've been talking a lot. you have anything to comment on that? or You pretty much covered it all. Yeah? I could t tell from the enthusiasm that this is something you, you actually really have a, a huge passion for. I think it's great. I mean, the most, um, outside of the world of ethics, I just don't have a lot of room for religion in my life. I think religion does a lot of good work on the planet and um, gave me a good value system and a good ethical grounding, and I appreciate that. But for me, personally, um, I've just gained so much perspective and so much knowledge and so much inspiration from what's come out of science, particularly physics and cosmology and astronomy. Um, and we are ultimately nothing, not, not only in terms of our physical beings, in terms of what we are as a percentage of the total atoms that make up the whole universe, and our sun is not remarkable, our planet is not remarkable, our, even our solar system and our galaxy is just one of tens or hundreds of billions like it, right? right. And so and some people would say, well, that's kind of nihilistic, and how do you get purpose from that? I, I get all my purpose from that, Right. right. Because on those days when I'm getting angry about this or that happening, it, it reminds me, wait a minute, I'm taking myself way too serious here. Let's take a cosmic perspective, right? Sure. And kind of be like, okay, yes, it's unfortunate so-and-so cut you off or they showed up late or whatever for this, this or that appointment. But at the end of the day, where, 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 do, where do we truly stand, you know, both in how long the universe you know, has been around? Interesting you make the comment about religion. And uh, there's a, a lyric uh, that, I, that I never forget. And I always think about from a song by the Killers, and the lyric goes, "God gives us hope, but we still fear what we don't know." Oh, I like that. And it's it's pretty much you know, if you look through history, through time, as philosophers and people discovered things about our Earth, our planet, the skies, the stars. If you look at what was being said, you know the comments these great leaders made, and the and the knowledge that they shared over time they always would basically make up what they didn't know as facts. Mm -hmm. They had the cold, hard facts, and a fact was a fact, and they held on to it. Mm -hmm. But then going from this fact to this fact, in between, they didn't understand or know. They just made it up. Yeah. Uh, and and here, here's another great thing that you hear, but so true about history itself. Well, if you look at history, at least the stuff we read in books, the people... The people, the winners of history were the ones who wrote history. Yeah. So history itself has got a slant, mm -hmm. right? And it's all, the slant is going to be provided by the people who wrote the history, which were the winners. Yeah. Right? So the passion, you know, you, you're, you're speaking from fact, which is super cool. Or at least the best facts we have right now. Exactly. They might change tomorrow. The enthusiasm, but... the passion, that's the sort of thing 
that takes what we do day to day to a whole different level. Yeah. And the kinds of things that the knowledge, the when when uh, the vagueness becomes fact, well, that fact becomes technologies that help everybody in, in your every day to day life. Yeah, that's a great quote from the killers. I'll have to write that down. Uh, I remember I'm, I'm reminded of Einstein, one of his many great quotes. He said, uh, uh, "Science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind." I thought that was really pretty pretty cogent. You know, oh, you've, that- you've got to have a little bit of that mysticism, that religion, that spirituality, just to give meaning to life. But you've all you can't ignore. You can't get lost in that and ignore, like you said, the cold hard facts. Yeah, yeah, and. Unfortunately, we did need that, right? We did need somebody making it up in between yeah, to give people the hope to keep going. It served a purpose at that point. Right. It, it, it organized society. It gave people morals and a value system and right and wrong and rules and laws and all that. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, if you look back, the whole science to spirituality or hope or, or, or religion, right? Um, and, and you think of history. And let's go back, you, you know, somewhere back in time. And I'm going to oversimplify this, right? Uh, somewhere back in time, you have that cosmic boom, huge explosion. From it come the planets and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then from it, you have prehistoric. And then somewhere in there, prehistoric man shows up, right? Down the road, millions of years after the chaotic blast. And there's always chaos involved. It's confusion. Again, the confusion is what you don't know. Mm-hmm gets kind of captured in that confusion category. Well, you get this dude, prehistoric man, doesn't know how to walk. He's on all fours. You know, he sees probably, I mean, you can envision him somewhere in a jungle and he's out there watching. You have a dinosaur and he can't reach a tree and then he gets up on his hind legs to reach it. And then he thinks to himself and, hey, let me stand up. I like the view up here. Right? Hey, what happens if... Maybe if I stand up, I could reach that apple right there. And then I'm sure fell, hurt his back, but he didn't give up, right? He kept Mm -hmm. going. He eventually stands up, grabs the apple, eats the apple. He he got satisfaction from that, and then he continues it in his life. And he passes it on to his offspring, too. And he passes it on. Yeah. And then the same thing happens with fire. I'm sure something happened. Maybe there was a heat wave, lightning strike, there was fire. Someone accidentally, got, an animal got burned. They were hungry. They ate. Oh, this tastes better than raw animal. Yeah. You know? And again, it's another lesson that this guy, prehistoric man, learns, applies in his life, and then continues applying and sharing with others. And that's half the story. The other half is you have just natural selection and random genetic mutation. It might not have been a conscious thought that Neanderthal or whatever had. It could have, could have just been that that particular being, being's genetics shook out to where he was more inclined to stand up or just from a random standpoint. You know what I'm saying? That's a big part of it. It worked, right? It works. And it he, worked. he survived long enough to procreate and then hopefully pass that down through genetics and through education. And then you have modern day. I mean, it. so now fast forward, right? That's how a guy stands up from that, as your point. You start to walk. Mm-hmm. He's, he's teaching others, right? Let's fast forward. A few thousand years later, right? 50, 100,000 years later, you got a guy... Who, who, who's saying, hey, the world is round. I could sail around, but everyone's telling him, no, don't do it, <laughs> right? And he threw some, he had some facts, right? He said, well, why is the horizon kind of round? It's not really flat. Yeah. 
you know, and he put some some facts together. He said, you know, I think I can do it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. He went out there. Guess what? He didn't fall off the edge of the earth. Yeah. Right. He's still on the planet. And from that, other guys started. Right. One guy went around Africa, Cape of Good Hope. Yeah. He had another guy, 1492, Columbus sailed the mighty blue. Yeah. He had another guy go the other direction. Eventually, people start venturing out, and guess what? They learned more. They learned some facts. They learned about other cultures, and things just continue to prosper. Yeah. But from every learning, it gets reapplied and takes everyone to a whole different level. Chasing that next horizon. Yeah. You mentioned a song earlier. I'm a Jack Johnson fan, and he said, the horizon has been defeated by the pirates of the new age. You know, there's always that new... That new quest for that next horizon, whether it be like Columbus sailing across the to, to America or uh, Elon Musk trying to get us to Mars or whatever it might be. We're always pursuing that next horizon, aren't we? It starts with a dream and someone filling in between the facts. And a lot of balls and courage, right? I mean, Christopher Columbus had to be a very courageous person, right? Because not only did he face the prospects of possibly falling off the earth, he was also criticized and... Uh, the Catholic Church and the Church in general didn't have a lot, a lot of room for something like that, right? No, the didn't. idea that their dogma is not the ultimate truth, right? And so it's, they eventually, to their credit, made room for that once it was blatantly, you know, uh, clear that he he was right and they were wrong. But it's interesting. You mentioned the uh, the winners writing history. Uh, it reminded me of the fact that um, prior to the New International Version, which is kind of the standard now, the NIV of the Bible, the Christian Bible, it used to be called the King James Bible. Right. I think that's pretty interesting. <laughs> There's got to be a connection there, right? When he and his people you know, transcribed or whatever the Bible prior to that, I'm sure they threw a little bit of their own uh, political and uh, uh, cultural uh, ideas in there and their own, um, their own beliefs to serve their own needs. Um, Brian Greene... Uh, brilliant physicist known for kind of being the physicist to the common man. He's done several PBS specials and takes all these complex, complicated physics and mathematical ideas and uh, brings them to the people in a way that's relatable and understandable. One of my heroes, he said, I think it's remarkable that these multiple collections of atoms, pretty much you and me, human beings, develop to the point where we can start asking questions about the universe. And not only did we ask those questions, we answered them with ever-increasing precision and mathematical ideas and concepts. You know, the universe is arguably understandable philosophically, but it's, it's, um, you can apply that understanding and manipulate the universe to your advantage through laws, pri- primarily math. And I think that's fascinating. The fact that the universe even has these underlying laws that we can understand and refine and improve over time to make life better and our understanding better. That's quite striking. And again, giving you that kind of perspective on things. Uh, I think Carl Sagan once said, uh, human beings were the universe's way to kind of observe itself. You know? We have that conscious thought. Well, and we're also made... we could push back. And we're stardust. A lot of people don't know that. Every element that makes up your body right now was formed through fusion in a star. A lot of folks don't know that hydrogen helium uh on down the periodic table of elements that the only pl- place that has the power enough to create to fuse those elements into heavier and heavier elements is a star the core of a star it's a the original fusion reactor if you uh are into nuclear power so i thought that was pr- a pretty interesting thing to talk about too so um any other comments on where we are with science and physics no. and math engineering we, could, we can 
discuss it forever. Yeah, we could. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. Um, it, it's the, the, the quest for knowledge, um, some of it, and obviously all of it through history, per individual, whoever w- 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 was carrying the thought at the time, was doing it for different reasons. One mm-hmm. was just personal accomplishment. One was advancement in, in, in medicine. One may have been financial advancement. One just the thrill of discovery. There are lots of reasons why people do things. Yeah. And that within itself is irrational. Because in, in, in rationality, you know, you think there's wrong and right. and You're either wrong or you're right. Mm-hmm. You can't be 50% right. But in reality, in our lives, everyday lives, you have shades of gray, right? Mm-hmm. Decisions cannot, can't always be yes or no or, or that binary, you know, it's either black or white. No, you can't have that shade. That's too dark. It's got to be white. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you're, if you're true and you're yes, and it's, a, it's, a, it's white. It's mm-hmm. not black. But in reality, what we do every day, you know, when, when, we, when we work together and we, we try and come to a, a form of consensus or... Or, or try and work something out between us. Collaboration. And, and yeah. collaborate. You know, people are trying to, oh, you got to seek win-win. No, there's no such thing. Oh, no, there is. There's a win-win. We can share this game. Mm-hmm. And now we have a shade. It's no longer black or white. You're gray, I'm gray. You're mm-hmm. half white, half black. I'm half white, half black. We have shades of gray now. And, uh, you know, science isn't shades of gray. And the whole point is, as humans, in, you know, we're, we think we're so rational, but you put a bunch of us in a room, and everyone's perspective of what's going on in that room is going to be totally different. And equally valid from their perspective. From their perspective. Yeah. So, you know, you'd see a lot of people, if you were to see 50 people in this room, you'd say, what a room full of kooks. Yeah. You know, there's nothing, why, why are why are they now watching SpongeBob on TV? Mm. Why on earth would they do that? In your mind, you don't see any rational reason why they would do that, why they would randomly turn on the TV and then stop at SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone has their own personal reasons for doing different things. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting how religion ha- has, has kind of created people to think certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. Through history, mm-hmm. the Crusades, now think about the Crusades, right? All for Christianity. Conquering and slaughtering and exactly. stealing and robbing and invading. And, and what made it okay to go plunder and then bring it back? Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, those who plundered to the, to the victors go the? Spoils. And who wrote the history? The people in charge. So who they slaughtered were... They had it coming. <laughs> they didn't believe in my God. They were or, cannibals. They, yeah. they were animals. They That's were, right. Okay, who's, who's making that judgment call? You yeah. see, you're, it depends on whose perspective you're looking at. This yeah. But, I mean, what's right, what's wrong? And then you get into the binary thing, the whole, the whole thought process around rationality. Mm-hmm. And who is going to be the benchmark for rational decision? Right? You take it to math. Well, yeah, one plus one is always going to be two. Mm-hmm. always going to be two. Two plus one is always going to be three, right? There's an answer. And there's there's a right answer and a wrong answer, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, now there's rationality there. So like, 
the point is, you know, math is probably the only rational thing that has a finite answer to that everything else we do, there is no rationality to. And thank God the universe apparently is encoded in mathematics and we can access it. Well, we have encoded it. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. We have taken it to that point. Okay. Using laws of science that apply, that are applicable. So far. So far. Better than anything else. It's practical. Better than what we know. Right. Based on what we know, we can do that. Yeah, I thought of a few things while you were talking. Um, uh, John Nash, you've seen Beautiful Mind, the movie? Mm-hmm. Yep. His uh, landmark achievement that won the Nobel Prize was the idea of equilibrium. And you mentioned the binary versus the non-binary scenario. And you said that there can be a win-win depending on your approach, right? Well, to oversimplify John Nash's equilibrium idea, the whole point was instead of acting in a strictly competitive environment with, with your so-called competitors, you can collaborate with them, peop, those folks and find the best solution solution to deliver the, the most good to the most people involved. Was That's, John Nash the one that came up with zero-sum, zero-sum game? I don't know if he came up with that term, but that definitely comes out of it. And the argument is, is it a zero-sum game where there's so much success to be had and everybody who participates in the game diminishes the average amount of success, or you can have the idea, which I tend to believe in, every person that sits down at the table, the table gets larger. Mm-hmm. So You know, 40 years ago, I had this phenomenal professor. He was my calculus teacher. He was also my physics teacher. Mm. And Those two uh, go hand in hand. He, uh, I was struggling with a particular concept, and then we were, I think we were getting into the chaotic theory, or chaos, chaos theory. Yeah. theory. And he goes... Lee, it's real easy. You can't win, you can't lose, and you can't get out of the game. So accept that. Okay. And, like, uh, and, and the funny thing was, um, it was obvious that it was, he was extremely passionate about this. It was pretty obvious to the rest of the room that it didn't matter an iota to me. You know, I was 18. What did I care? What I was trying to do was get through this class. He was, the, on record, the toughest teacher at, in the whole school and, you know, people felt sorry for those who had to walk into that room. But he was the best teacher I've ever had. When it came to science, he was the best. And he, and he may have oversimplified it, but he said, the way he said it and the way he reacted and the passion that he said it with, mm-hmm. you, know, you can't win, you can't lose, and you can't get out of the game. Just remember it that way. And sure enough, here I am today, 40 years later, and I, I'll never forget. Still applying that lesson? And, and yeah, I, there are things that happen in my everyday life. And in the back of my head, you know, little Lee is sitting in the back of the head saying, Lee, don't forget. Yeah. Can't win. You're not going to win this. Can't win. You can't lose. Oh, and by the way, you can't walk away from it either. An unwitting participant in the game. We've got to participate. Yeah. So let's make the best of it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and I, I did go back and speak to him over and over. Because yeah. I did get a whole different level of respect for the gentleman. And, uh, and we talked about it. And then uh, things went a lot better between the two of us yeah. after that discussion. Because he realized that, I, that at that point, he had me. Mm-hmm. That I was listening. And that I was trying to learn and better understand what I didn't understand. And that's the ultimate payoff for the, the professional consummate te- teacher, right? To make that connection, to see that light bulb go yeah. off in the student's mind. That, that's why they get up and do what they do every day. 
Yeah. When they see that light bulb, they they will literally, they stop tensing up. Yeah. Right? Because, come on, they can't, it's, it's very difficult for someone to walk into that environment every day and be enthused mm-hmm. and enthusiastic and ready to conquer the world when they get the resistance. But once they see that light bulb go off, mm-hmm. they kind of relax and say, okay, the kid gets it, or I've got an opportunity here to help him get it. Mm-hmm. Just take it, it, it allows things to get to the next level. Yeah, I think we've all had uh, those moments in our lives where someone, a teacher or a, uh, an advisor or a mentor, got through to us. And it's amazing how we can carry those lessons forward, you know, for the rest of our lives and apply those to our lives. Um, we mentioned uh, religion earlier. Have you familiar with the Carlin routine on uh, religion in general? Oh, is that the one that goes Old Testament, New Testament? Well, there's the some Old th- Testament. There's nothing wrong with the Old Testament, so why on earth did we turn around and write the New Testament? Yeah. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, uh, the lessons in the Old Testament are identical to the lessons in the New Testament. I think. So I've, why have this? Let's throw this. Yeah, I think I've refer. I've, I've I've heard that one. The one I was referencing specifically kind of goes like this. And forgive me, I'm a Carlin aficionado. He says religion has millions of people convinced there's an invisible man in the sky, and he watches everything you do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he's got a list of 10 things that he doesn't want you to do. And if you do any of those 10 things, he sends you to hell where you burn and suffer and you're tortured until the end of time. I remember that. But he loves you. <laughs> <laughs> he loves you and he needs money. Yeah. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, created the universe, just can't handle money. <laughs> and so and that, some could say there's a specific amount he needs, like 10%. Today, right? Yeah. And, that, and that can change he's tomorrow. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so I thought that was interesting. But... Um, you're an intellectual. I'm intellectual. As much as I uh, crap on religion, I uh, try to see both sides. And at the end of the day, particularly the mo- modern mainstream Christian in our country goes to church on Sunday and they're told a couple of things, right? Forgive people who harm you. Love your neighbor. Do something kind for somebody. Have compassion and forgiveness and kindness in your heart. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I would think insofar as I'm a good person today, it would be because I was raised Christian and the values I was taught, even though I live my life as what I would describe as being an agnostic atheist. Um, I live my life as if there is no God. I don't pray to God and ask him to get me out of jams and so forth. But at the end of the day, I'm ultimately philosophically agnostic because I don't know. God could be real and Jesus could be his son. Elijah could be God and Muhammad could be his prophet. I don't know, right? I have some suspicions that those things aren't true, right? But I'm not here to... Uh, disparage. Well, it's, there's got to be some truth to it, right? There's got to be some truth to it. To the values the of the story, actual... Because the story is at least 2,000 years old. Survived. Right? It's survived over time. It, obviously, it survived for the reason, for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there were lots of <laughs> winners and losers, sort of say, along the way. Yeah. But there's some basic facts that not only have made it through... In one religion, but in some cases, they're supported in other religions. Like an underlying value system, so to speak? Or even certain prophets or individuals yeah. that were called out in one religion. They're also called out in another religion. Mm-hmm. They're not, because it's a different religion, they're not at the same you know, the level. The same title, yeah. <laughs> they're, <laughs> position. They they're not saints or positions or, yeah. you see what I mean? But they're referenced. Yeah. So you got to you gotta consider. That's a fair point. That there's got to be some truth to it because the fact or the facts, certain facts have made it through time, even if you're looking at it from different perspectives. That's a great point. So. I was just thinking maybe just the value system, the value system and the way of life 
um, living a clean th- uh, living a clean life, being kind to others, um, establishing integrity and dignity and self respect and that kind of stuff and accountability. I thought it. I I kind of attributed its survival to those things as being practical skill, skills anybody can benefit from. Whether you believe in the whole system, part and parcel of God sending His Son to die on the cross and all that kind of stuff, but I hadn't thought about it that way. And I'm glad you made that point. Um, I mean, you're you're arguing from a historical standpoint. There's something there, or it wouldn't have survived, right, in its right. current form. That, and, and you know, to your point, uh, you reference uh, I'm Catholic, and you reference ten ten things that we have to do. Of course, there's a reference there to the Ten Commandments, right, mm-hmm. and. Uh, as you know, I paint for a living. And uh, we paint churches. And along over the years, you know, I had some guys that were a little res- resi- resistant going into certain churches, hmm. right? Because they were from different religions. And uh, I've always been able to talk them off that ledge. Nice. And it's very easy. Hey, dude, this is simple. This is a house of God. Okay, it may not be your specific house, but it's still a house of God. Mm-hmm. We have faith; we all have faith. But the wonderful thing that God has given us all is the opportunity to make our own decisions, and we choose how we want to how how we want to to exercise our religions, mm-hmm. how we want to praise God. Mm-hmm. Right? We just choose to do it differently. Mm-hmm. But if you notice. You have different religions. There's usually some kind of common ground. Common ground. Yeah. There's a church involved. Mm-hmm. It may be a Catholic church, a Baptist church. It may be mosque, a mosque or synagogue, yeah. right? Or a synagogue. You have different religions. Well, that's because God gave us the ability for to consciously think and make thoughts and make decisions. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we have the ability to choose how we praise God. Even even in a form of creative expression, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, a church is a church. It's a, it's the, it's a house mm-hmm. of God, and that's the way we need to look at it, right? Yeah. Just because it's a oh, I'm not going to go in there. It's a mosque. God forbid. I'll never. I'll be no. That is a house of God. Mm-hmm. The people that go to the mosque have chosen to praise God that way. And you need to accept that fact. And most of those folks are being taught to love their neighbors and be kind and respect people. It's the same 10 facts, right? Yeah. Same 10 facts. A little little different branding, a little bit different different packaging. And if you you look at their testaments and their documents and, you know, look at their history, I bet you they reference Jesus. They reference different prophets. They may call them prophets. We call them saints. They reference these these events and Mm -hmm. prophets. So there's got to be truth. That's a great point. Some form of truth. At the end of the day, because of who we are and how evolution has happened, we have chosen, we've made decision how we as individuals want to praise our God. Indirectly and directly, we've preserved it. Yes. And and in doing so, kind of attributed uh, a little bit of truth to it, right? That's great. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, well, look at it this way. You know, Jesus and the 12 disciples, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have 12 people who go out. He passes away, gets crucified. And then all 12 of them start teaching history mm-hmm. through their own perspective. Yeah, that would be the Gospels of the New Testament? or Well, 
got to think, well, you had John the Baptist, right? Mm -hmm. Is there any correlation between the Baptist church? Oh, well said. John the Baptist. Yeah, you've got Lutherans. If you look into it, there is a correlation there. There, Mm -hmm. It may be a thin line, Mm -hmm. but it's there. Well, think about it. You had 12 guys that went out and start teaching the faith. But obviously, the 12 people had 12 different perspectives of what happened. Interesting. And those perspectives, over time, got interpreted and rewritten. And refined. And and refined. Yeah. And again, what they didn't know, someone had to make up. Yeah. I love that. That's such such an eloquent um, take on that that I haven't heard before. I think it reinforces the idea that an intellectual like yourself, and hopefully I would be described as an intellectual too, would believe in, regardless of how certain you feel about something one way or the other, good or bad, right or wrong, whatever, it's always a meaningful and a worthwhile um, endeavor to try to see the other side, right? And it doesn't mean you have to compromise your most heartfelt beliefs and your core principles and all that, but it just makes you a more well-rounded human being. At the end of the day, if you're a curious person and a thinker, you're always looking for that next fresh perspective, right? That thing that you, an angle you haven't pursued a particular topic from. You might have pursued it from 100 angles prior to that. But, you know, you mentioned that light bulb going off with you and that calculus teacher. That light bulb just went off with me with what you said. So thank you for that. that was You're really, welcome. That was really interesting. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's kind of like the, well, an in. I hate to say it because it's going to categorize all engineers, right? That's okay. But an engineering mindset, especially one who seeks the root cause mm-hmm. and root cause analysis. I don't know if you're familiar with root cause analysis. Familiar, but educate us. Well, basically, you keep asking why, right? And then theoretically, when you get to the fifth or sixth why, you should be at the answer of oh. what, co- what caused this effect. So this is kind of a doctrine of engineering? Yeah, it's... Well, it's a, it's a philosophy. Okay. And it's root cause analysis. And you keep asking why something happened mm-hmm. until you get to the solution. Mm-hmm. Right? If you take that into what has happened through history, if you keep asking why, right, knowing the history, understanding and appreciating the history of how something gets from A to Z, well, when you get into that when you get onto that path you if you know the history you can save yourself a lot of heartache hmm. right because it can you fill can, those gaps in it could fill those gaps in yeah you don't know how say you have a problem in your home right and you call me hey lee buddy i got a problem my walls look horrible <laughs> i got this spot on my basement ceiling would you come over here and fix it? By the way, I'm asking for a friend. It's not me personally. Okay. Just kidding. Well, you see the spot, right? But the symptom, which is the spot, mm-hmm. is what's bugging you. Mm-hmm. And that's what triggered you to make the call. So you call someone to fix it. Mm-hmm. So if I get here and blindly start painting, I could make the spot go away. Temporarily. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if the root cause of the spot isn't addressed... It's going to come back, mm-hmm. right? You so can... let's 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 just take this to the next level. Let's let's make some assumptions. Let's assume that I come in, I paint this ceiling, I took care of the spot. You're a happy man, right? 
And just for, for discussion purposes, I charge you 100 bucks. You thought it was fair. I, I, I threw a price at you. You paid it. I did it. Three weeks later, the spot comes back. Right? Now you're upset at me. Mm-hmm. Well, then, I've got to, you, being a logical person, you want to know why this happened. Why did the spot come back? Now, I could blindly paint again and make it go away. But as I'm walking out the door, I'm thinking to myself, that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, why is that? I'm thinking to myself. Well, that's because I didn't look for the root cause. Obviously, something's causing that spot. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have asked him what color to paint the ceiling. I should have asked him, do you know why that happened? Right? So say because I thought that way, before I get in my car, I turn around, walk back up your driveway, come to your door, say, hey, David, let's, let's try and figure this thing out. I'm going to fix that spot on your ceiling. But you got to give me some information, buddy. When did that spot occur? Well, Lee, it happened three days ago. Really? Did anything unusual happen three days ago? I asked one question, right? What mm-hmm. happened? Well, it happened three days ago. Okay, what happened three days ago? Can you remember three days? Well, yeah, Lee, this, the kids were playing. Oh, the kids were playing. Okay, great to know. Well, do you know what they were doing? Well, I think they were playing hide and seek. Oh, kids, hide and seek, okay. Oh, by the way, David, what's right above us? Is that a kid's room? Actually, Lee, it's not a kid's room. It's the bathroom off the kids' room. Oh, okay. So there's, can we go upstairs? We start looking, right? We see a few things. It's a little bit in disarray. It's a kids' room, right? You got toys. And you see this huge shovel, plastic shovel, one of those beach shovels, right? Let's, let's make it fun. And it's orange. I like orange. It's yeah. And, and this shovel is tucked behind the, the, the toilet. Mm-hmm. What's that thing doing behind the toilet, David? Well, I don't know. Kids must have put it there. You know, my son said his sister hit him with it. Oh, sister, there was a little bit of a disagreement up there? <laughs> well, obviously, sometime there was. And, well, we start keeping. We keep having a discussion. Keep asking why. Keep asking more questions. The curiosity. Mm-hmm. The desire to understand. The history we piece together that at some moment... In time, three days ago, that shovel was wedged back there that may have caused a pipe to get pushed out of a, pushed away from the wall, and there could have been a coupling in there that was welded. The weld was broken, which caused the leak. Mm. Now, we get to that end result with root cause analysis. As a result, we sit there, and you say, you know, Lee, I apologize. The spot wasn't your fault, and I was thinking poorly of you. No problem, David. I appreciate us having this discussion and us working this out. Tell you what, dude, get a plumber, get that fixed. Let me know when he's done. We'll give it a few days to make sure that his repair worked and the spot is gone. And I'll re-roll it and we're done. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, because of the history, because of curiosity, because of the persistent questioning, we got to the root cause. Now, if you had known that, right mm-hmm. prior to me painting right and you would have shared that with me i would have said well heck david uh this is great to know you know and we know what caused it we know what caused the spot got a quick question for you dude is the plumber here uh actually lee he's a little 
he's off about three weeks. He's just backlogged. He can't get here for three weeks. Well, David, you asked me when I should do it. Well, based on what you're sharing with me, I'll be here in three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. When he's done, we'll give it three days. Then I'll come, I'll fix it. You'll, you won't have to waste money in the future on this. The whole point is the learning, knowing history, knowing what happened, how we got from A to Z. So when we take that path, we don't make the same mistakes. We save time, effort, and now we prosper and grow moving forward at a different level. Mm. Right? Yeah. So That's well said. That's a, a very logical and um, succinct and a very engineering way to uh, explain something. So thank you for that. Um, you mentioned uh, treating the symptom as opposed to the underlying cause. Reminds me of the metaphor of... Um, if you have a, a tire that keeps losing air, you can pull up to the gas station and put more air in it, and it'll be it'll stay you know full for a little while, right? Hey, I'm an engineer. My first car, I did that for six months. Yeah, and it took six months for me to get finally get upset. Yeah, well, basically, I got pissed off that I, every day yeah. for six months <laughs> I put air in a friggin' tire. Yeah, and uh, then I got I, I put in the effort to get to change the tire. Yeah, right. Truth of the matter is, as a young man, didn't have money, didn't want to spend the money. Yeah. But the truth, but take it to the next level. But on the other side, Lee, for six months, I put air in that tire. A quarter a day for six months, that adds up, right? It, it did. Yeah. It did. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, you can't, you can put air in a tire that has a hole in it and you'll buy yourself some time, but you're not treating the problem. Just, no. just, re, just remedying the, uh, the symptom in the moment. One thing you mentioned, too, that uh, made me th think of something I think about a lot. I think... The wise and open-minded person, if sufficiently motivated, sufficiently careful, and sufficiently disciplined, can can kind of maneuver. Please throw the word patient in there. Oh, patience, yeah. great. That's a great it one, yeah. It requires a tremendous amount of patience. Absolutely. I think that person, if those various factors are honed and are um, being um, maximized, so to speak, can kind of maneuver in and out of any situation. And the reason I mention this is you mentioned um, having your staff go and paint, um, you know, churches that are different denominations or different religions altogether. And that's what made me think of this. The wise person can kind of maneuver in and out of those different situations and isolate the things that they can learn from that person or that situation and kind of just not get distracted by the, well, you know, they worship Jesus Christ, this person worships John Smith or, uh, you know, Buddha or Allah or whatever it might be, right? And I just kind of, that kind of reminded me of that. I think I've always been kind of that person that can be in any type of situation regardless of how contrary it might be to my personal beliefs or my political opinions or uh, my values and all that and I can just kind of just push that stuff to the side to say what can I learn from this person or this situation and I just see so many people around me on a daily basis that get tripped up on those minor little things you know he's Lutheran I'm Baptist she's Catholic I'm uh, evangelical or whatever it might be and I just see him getting hung up on that and, and it's sad to watch that you know, can you comment on that, being able to kind of push those surface things away and kind of get to what you can benefit from and learn from each situation and each person? Um, well, it's, you know, we, we, um, we grow up and life experiences give, gives us different filters, right? And we spend an entire lifetime viewing our day-to-day -day from our own sets of filters, um, you know, people who truly are open-minded and truly care 
they embrace those and they're continuously improving. Um, you know, you've said some very uh, complimentary things for me and I appreciate everything you said, but here I am before you at 59 and am I open-minded? Well, I've become open-minded, open-minded enough to realize that I'm pretty stubborn and hard-headed. It's just a strange thing. Well, that's where it starts, self-awareness. You know, I, you know, my Liz tells me every day how stubborn I can be yeah. and how, how hard-headed I am. And at the moment, in the back of my head, I'm kind of grinning and smiling and laughing. You know, and I'll always respond, but I love you. You know, or, or say something, try to diffuse the moment. Yeah. But the truth of the matter, when I was younger, I'd look back and I'm like, man, what an asshole I was. Yeah, or how ignorant was right. I? Yeah. Uh, man, when, 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 and then the funny thing at times here, you know, you think about, I'm again, 59, look back to when I was 18, the stuff that came out of my mouth. I'd be like, I can't believe I said that. Mm-hmm. So to your whole point in this is, you know, it's almost human nature. There's only very few people on uh, that I've ever met that was truly so open-minded that they were constantly evolving and changing in such a way mm-hmm. that um, that truly made a real difference. That that turned bad situations to good, and that could take it to a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Uh, again. You threw some wonderful compliments at me, and I appreciate that. But I look back, and I, and I know that I'm not the easiest person to get along with. And one would think that, hey, Lee, you, your perspective is such a way that's kind of open-minded, and you're, oh, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think, and many times I think of these things, and it's too late. Mm. It's really in the lesson mode, as opposed to, were you aware of this? In the moment. Yeah, that's the, that's the trick. Is and that's truly, yes, it is a trick. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredible ability to, in the moment, do the right thing in such a way that you've covered the white and the black, right? Mm-hmm. You've covered it in such a way that it doesn't matter how the binary result may come up. It's covered in the way you handled it. Mm. That takes tremendous skill. And it's a process, like you said, that's ongoing. You have to do it every day, and you have to practice it. And if you don't practice it and do it and get your reps in, just like working out, you won't get the results you want. And you could work out like a madman for six months and stop for a week and, you know. Ruin it all. Yeah, yeah. Diet, personal development, working out, um, relationships, whatever it might be, professional growth, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of parallels there. You mentioned the binary black and white in our society. Um, we're not going to talk about politics because neither, neither one of us get want to get canceled. But I will um, have a, a dabble in that momentarily. Uh, I think w- one of the things that's wrong with our country and our culture is this um, uh, extremism on both sides of the political you know, perspective, um, spectrum. And uh, I've found that liberals, leftists, the extreme liberals, uh, um, a lot of them don't have much religion or spirituality. And so their politics becomes their religion. And then on the other side... Now, are you saying that because you know it? Are you saying that because you're in between facts, you don't know how they're connected and you're making it up? I've observed it. I think most people on the left, and of course it's a generalization, 
their religion in absence of a true religion it becomes their politics and i think the opposite is true on the extreme right I think those folks don't really have much of a political ideology. It's all about their religion, and their religion dictates how they vote. And so I think both are equally dangerous, both are equally radical, and both are equally extreme. And um, like you mentioned earlier, with the win-win versus the zero-sum or the binary outcome, I think our society would be a lot um, better. I think people would be happier. Um, and it's one of the reasons I started the show was to promote free speech and the idea that more people that disagree should just sit across from each other like you and I are right now, explain our views to each other, try to have empathy for the other person and try to put yourself in their shoes and understand why from their perspective they happen to see issue A, B, and C that way and vice versa. And I think if we could encourage that and um, as a result of that encouragement, have more conversations like that, civil conversations, you can get passionate about your beliefs and defend them. That's fine, but not cross the line into insulting people or, um, you know, saying or doing doing nasty things or thinking less of the person because they disagree with you. I think our country would be a lot better off if we could just do do that. And I don't think we have nearly enough of that. So I just wanted to wanted to get that out there. Um, you can, like I said, you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, but then you can take their shoes off and get back in yours. Mm-hmm. It's not this permanent commitment to change everything you believe or think just to try to understand why someone, uh, you know, believes or thinks something differently. And for as long as I can remember, I've always been fascinated by what people think and believe, and more importantly, why they think and believe what they do. And so that's one of the um, kind of the founding principles of this show is free speech and to deliberately seek out people who I disagree with to come on um, and just have a conversation. I'll respect you, you respect me, we'll get our, our, our issues out on the table and defend them and, and move on and be friends, so... Uh, that's one of the notes I made. Another one I wanted to mention, um, going back to religion, <laughs> excuse me. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, the radical left, radical right. Um, you mentioned a couple of other things. But you also need to consider socioeconomic impact. Um you know, I, I say that social economic impact, and right to mind, here comes another song lyric. Yeah. Poor man wants to be rich, a rich man wants to be king. Yeah. And a king is not satisfied till he's had everything. Okay. Who's that, Bob Dylan? Uh, was it Bruce? Oh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen? Springsteen. The boss? Um, and if you think about it, right? Well, what are we going through today? You know, it's, well, in a way, the haves versus the have nots, right? Uh, people vote. You know, they, they, we, you know, through the democratic experiment that happened when we started 200 years ago as the United States of America, right? And, I mean, people, just, it was a democratic experiment, and it's lasted 200 years. And the voting process has been such that the major, a lot of the votes, I was about to say majority of the votes, I can't say that with fact, but there are a lot of people in our country that vote based on their economic situation. Sure. And sometimes, you know, because if you read, if you read the Declaration of Independence, right, the pursuit of happiness, right, they're very general, very feel-good, very happy. It was an experiment. Abstract ideas. And it has been an experiment. Pursuit of happiness, liberty. But it's all based on a few things, right? Electing officials, right? Making decisions, given the right to vote 
So we've got a history of people making decisions. And you can't help but feel, well, it's a fact. Their social economic situation had an impact to the decision they made. Which, that decision over time never goes away. Because the decisions that have been made in mass, because that's what we're talking about. You know, the consequences, ongoing policy changes. And, exactly. Yeah. These things need to be addressed. And sometimes it takes people to take a grander position and look at things kind of in the back seats of the auditorium, right? See the whole stage. Mm-hmm. Don't try and get the first row and just capture what's happening based on what you see from the front row. Mm-hmm. Get in the back. Get a different view of it. Get the whole picture. And then have the courage to make a decision and vote for the greater good. Yeah. Now, again, if you read the declaration and you read and you kind of just say them out loud and listen to the words to describe the scenario, it is all about that democratic experiment. Of by and for the people. Exactly. Yeah. Pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Uh, in al- in alienable rights given to us from God right well here we are 200 years later and these rights are shifting mm-hmm. right well one does have to argue you know over time value systems change everything's changed but we got here in time through a decision process that was affected by all kinds of other issues mm-hmm. right again a situation of knowing how we got here understanding and appreciating the different events that happened and how they happened can be extremely important so that as we move forward, we don't make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Again, it takes the masses to agree and understand and appreciate the same perspectives. Yeah, I think there's some real truth there. Um, that language that the founding fathers used is so profound and it's, um, uh, enabling free rights or free um not free rights human rights and freedoms and liberties still to this day it's still dispensing them right um i don't want to make a political statement here but i think homosexuals and lgbtq all those folks should have the same rights as everybody else absolutely uh they're a human being and that's we we value human rights and dignity and uh, happiness there you go yeah and so do you think they ever would have thought when they were writing those that beautiful, you know, that be- beautiful language, those beautiful words that 200 years later, gay people could get married and, you know, when women could eventually vote and all that. Well, it's actually sadder. It took 200 years to get there. Right. But we did get and there. And we're not there yet. Right. So we got, really aren't. There's plenty of work to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You won't find a more patriotic person than me. I'm proud to be an American. I'm, I consider it a privilege to live, to live here and to have all the uh, various freedoms uh, and liberty and opportunity that I have. Um, but I do like to play devil's advocate. I'll mention another Carlin quote. The longer you live in this country, the more you realize America's number one product is the creation, manufacture, marketing, and distribution of bullshit. <laughs> and if you want proof, here it is. The country was founded by a group of white male slave owners who told us that all men are created equal. That's what's known as being stunningly full of shit, right? <laughs> Take a deeper dive. Um, I don't think any one of those guys got a welfare check right right they were doing good my point is again i'm not knocking the welfare system or anything like that the point is they were 
if you, well, is there anyone? I can't think of any one of those. Every one of them is like a, literally a founding father of some kind of industry. A self-made person. An entrepreneur. Accomplished. So yeah. what were they really pursuing? Were they pursuing to their own benefit? Or are they really thinking for the greater good? Well, and that's the question. I mean, if you think about it, they had no ec- economic reason to uh, write that beautiful language and empower the average person with rights and liberty and economic and um, personal opportunity. Um, they arguably created a system that was against their own economic interests. And in so doing, I think that gives them some credibility and some authenticity in the fact that they already own all the access to all the money, all the resources, all the political power, all the women, all the gold, all the uh, industry, all that stuff, right? They didn't have a built-in incentive in a pure, purely selfish sense to do that, but they believe, they believed in something bigger. They believed in the um, combined output of a society that's free to pursue what it wants would be greater than forcing people to do things or making them subject to uh, an authoritar- authoritarian rule or a monarchy or something like that so that gives you another um another level of appreciation for what they did we're still benefiting from it today in ways that they couldn't possibly have imagined you know so absolutely and i always i always um like to end a conversation with negative things that have been said about america there's plenty of things we've done that we're ashamed of there's plenty of things we still need to do and there's plenty of progress that still needs to be made but i always end it with this statement it's still the best place to live in the history of humanity and I know that's a different experience if you're a black man or a black woman or a LGBTQ or some other uh, minority that might be vulnerable or exploited. I, underst- I understand that things are pretty good for me being a white male, and I don't take that for granted. You know what I'm saying? And I try to put myself in the position of other folks who don't have it as well as I do. Uh, but that being said, those people are still better off today than they were 50 years ago. And they're going to be better off 50 years ago today from today than they are today. And assuming the current trend continues um, in that direction. So I think it's very important to end any conversation that's been critical of our country with something along those lines. I would assume you kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to kind of wrap up our conversation. Um, There's so many topics that I have here we didn't touch. But to keep the show palatable to the typical uh, audience member with uh, their attention span being short as 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 it is already, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I typically like to transition to a segment here towards the end called uh, Three Questions, but I've already asked you these three questions in a different episode, so I came up with three more questions. Okay. So this segment of Three Questions, Altered in this case, is brought to you by our nonprofit, See Good to Be Good, which aims to act as a source of hope, motivation, and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. We're now accepting donations to help fund our needs-based scholarship to help send a young person to college and help them pay for their education and and in the arts, whether it be music, dance, um, traditional art, um, or acting, something like that. Uh, we, we don't think there's enough support for that out there, so we'd love to um, help that. If you'd like to help us in any way, please let us know. Uh, first question, what inspires you? Hmm. Accomplishment. Yeah. You know, going out there and accomplishing what you couldn't get done yesterday. Identifying and, and achieving that next horizon. That next horizon. Yeah. Getting to... And then when you can do something like that, because that can become and even perceived as being very selfish, right? Because you only care about what you're trying to accomplish. Well, being able to get there and help others achieve their goals while you're trying to achieve yours, 
that's always that's always when you look back and you see what someone else was able to do because as you were trying to get to your destination you help them along the way get mm. to theirs yeah that's so that's always gives you a good warm feeling a poor man can't feed the hungry right right you got to go out there and make some kind of living right yeah what are you curious about hmm. well now the telescope okay i didn't know as much did i spark a little interest you in that did. Yeah. you did now i want to go out there and just start Googling the heck out of it and learning more about the telescope. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that you mentioned that yeah, I wasn't James, aware of. The James Webb Space Telescope. Um, finally, what's a cause that you believe in you'd like to tell us about? Are you passionate about animals or helping the poor or... Again... Uh, your, your faith just or... Just over the way, over the years, things... Those always changed. You know, events happen in your life. Uh, a family member passes from cancer. So then, of course, that's kind of fresh. The pain, the, the memories. So why did this happen? You know, you start asking yourself, well, why did this happen? You know, so then cancer becomes the thing. Um, you know, uh, pets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to the animal shelter, bring bring a dog home. And you really weren't a dog person. But now not only do you care more about the dog you brought home, but it upsets you when you see somebody kick a dog out mm. in public. Yeah. Right? A helpless animal. Mm -hmm. But prior to getting, having the experience of saving an animal, you know, prior to that, you you'd see it, but you'd say nothing. Mm -hmm. But you help someone. You, you fall in love with, with an animal. Now you're helping all the other animals. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on and on, right? Yeah. Um, a child who gets sick, uh, especially when it happens in your own home. Well, now not only are you concerned about your child, you're concerned about other children. Because mm -hmm. until that has happened to you, that horrible feeling you get, you start becoming more sensitive to your other friends, family, or your neighbor down the street mm -hmm. who you learn a year later is going through the same thing. And you kind of reach out and want to help. I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, you did. It resonates. It, it, you know, I can't help but feel that the things that have happened to us in our day-to-day has an impact sure. on the causes we choose to pursue. And that evolves and changes over time. And it and it's constantly changing. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, I'd like to close with a positive quote, and uh, this is from the great Thomas Jefferson. He said, I'm a greater believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. I <laughs> thought that was pretty good. I've heard that one before. That is very good. If you'd like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. I'd like to take, take a moment to thank the talented people that work behind the scenes to make this podcast happen. There's the effervescent producer, David Snyder, running audio and video. That's a, he's a cool guy, by the way. I like him. Yes. Yeah. The intrepid David Snyder casting and scripting the show. You're kidding me. 
Believe it or not. And finally, the brilliant and gifted David Snyder editing and distributing the show online. I'd like to thank those fine folks for their uh, their contributions. I know I'm a little biased, but I think they're good folks. Well and said. Thank you. And uh, thanks to our guest, Lee Sapata for joining us again today. Hopefully you'll be back. I hope you'll um, kind of assume that role of um, sporadic guest co-host, recurring guest co-host, so to speak, over time. Sure. Uh, I've genuinely thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and uh, it's given me a lot to think about and um, you, you turn on that light bulb for me. So thank you for doing that. I'd like to thank the listeners and our sponsors for making the podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we'll see you real soon on a future episode of the respect to math podcast.